0: Just then a rich man came up to Jesus and asked, "'Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life?' "'Why do you ask me about what is good?' Jesus replied. "'There is only one who is good. "'If you want to enter life, keep the commandments.' "'Which ones?' he inquired. "'Jesus replied, "'You shall not murder, "'you shall not commit adultery, "'you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony.' Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, said the young man. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God... All things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first.
1: Thanks so much, Glenys. good morning everybody we're gonna look at that passage today and yeah continuing to go through jesus teaching and uh yeah i thought last week was a challenge and then we came to this week so uh, if i wasn't preaching on money i could ask for a pay rise i think (laughs) Uh, but um jesus addresses big topics that were relevant 2,000 years ago and are just as relevant today, and this is incredibly relevant today, and even this week, it's quite interesting, even this, this passage, there is. A, we did actually just skip over a few verses on, on children, uh, which we're going to look at next week, which is sort of the way the calendar works, so we're looking at this, this story this week, and we will go back to the last couple of verses before this passage next week, um, but yeah, the topic was, was money, Jesus and money this week, and it's interesting, the budget came out. This week, lots of talk about inflation and, and cost of living, even as, um, as Gordon mentioned before. Tam went to the, the newsagent for something this week, and there was a massive line-up out the door because it was a jackpot lotto record or something of a $160 million lotto this week. Like, and I read one article that said probably half of the country had an entry in it, which is pretty crazy. And um, so it's a good time to look at what Jesus has to say about money. Um, because he has a lot to say about money. And in some ways, uh, often in, in church, we maybe don't necessarily like talking about money. Sometimes it's been overdone, and sometimes it can be, be awkward, but Jesus talks about it a lot, and, and we're here to follow Jesus, and we're here to listen to what he has to say. So that's, that's why we're doing this, and I just give you a sort of warning that it's gonna be probably pretty tough. Uh, but everything Jesus says is good and is in love, and we need to listen to him and and honor him. So I'm just gonna pray and then we'll go into this passage. So we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your love and how you speak truth and lead us into freedom, and we just pray, yeah, Lord, these words you spoke 2,000 years ago, would you speak them to our hearts today? Yeah, by your word, by your spirit, to what it means to us uh, in 2022, um, all in different places, um, financially, God, but he's seeking to follow you, Jesus, and, and be faithful uh, in your kingdom, and just give us wisdom as, as you challenge us in love, and we just pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to get into this passage. I've uh, got a lot to cover, so I'll try and go pretty, pretty quickly, but um, again, Jesus is on his way down to Jerusalem, and he keeps getting asked questions. Last week was a question to test him about divorce, which led to his teaching on marriage, and divorce and singleness, which we covered last week, and now he's getting asked another question. This question, though, it seems is not asked to test him is actually a genuine question. So we're gonna have a look at this interaction. So it says, just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you wanna enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones he required? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your mother and father, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? This is really interesting interaction, and, and if you read the heading, and if you know the story, we heard later on, this man is very rich, and it seems likely that his wealth could be two ways. It either impacts his kind of confidence, or maybe his confidence got him his wealth, but they tend to go together. He's quite a confident Man, he comes up to Jesus, he asks this question, how do I get eternal life? And in some ways, he's almost approaching this aspect of life, which he doesn't necessarily mean going to heaven when he dies, but just the life of God, the kingdom of God, the shalom, wholeness life with God he's he's asking about. But he kind of is approaching it like something that you can buy. Uh, He's got all these possessions, and he wants to know how he can also possess eternal life. And Jesus challenges him straight up and says, whoa, it's God who is good. He, he redirects him to God. He says, if you want good, you need God. You need to seek God. And then says, you need to follow God and his commands. And the man then says, well, which ones? And, and Jesus lists some commandments, and he lists commandments that are in the second table of the Ten Commandments, which are about how you treat people around you. And then he summarizes them by saying, you shall love your neighbor as your, yourself. That actually life is found by God being fully human, which means to reflect the image of God. What is God like? God is a being of perfect love. So all God's commands teach us to love him and love others. And Jesus says to him, it's interesting, he corrects him in these subtle ways. Well, he's obviously corrects him saying, you're asking about what is good, you need to look to God. And then the man says he wants to possess eternal life, but Jesus talks about entering eternal life. It's not something you possess, it's something you enter. It's it's a way, and ultimately it's a way of love. But this man uh, declares that he has kept these commands, yet he also declares that he is lacking something. Now, there's different ways that people read this. We could read this as him being quite proud or ignorant, um, but some commentators say he, he probably means this genuinely, that he has kept these commands, but he's probably thinking about them in quite an external way, that he has conformed to them. He hasn't murdered anybody, hasn't really stolen big amounts and so forth. So like Because Paul also says in some ways that he was blameless according to the, to the law. So this this, ca- this category of being quite moral and religious, that he sort of says that he has kept these, um, but he hasn't kept them in his heart. And Jesus really addresses the heart. And, and then we'll later, we, we know Jesus will address things like, hate as murder in the, in the, in the um, Sermon on the Mount, and, and covetousness is in the Ten Commandments. Interesting, Jesus doesn't mention that, but then he will address that. This man is kind of talking quite externally, yet he knows something's missing. And it's interesting, in some ways, he's even humble enough to admit that something's missing, and he's actually seeking. So I don't think we should necessarily see him as someone who's just trying, although he is trying to justify himself in a sense, he's also someone who's genuinely searching. Uh, someone who's rich, someone who's moral, someone who's religious, someone who seems to be quite good and probably looked up to in the culture who's seeking God is effectively the, who this person is. And Jesus engages with him, but then Jesus gives him really the kicker. In verse 21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. Again, this is a pretty extreme thing Jesus says. In Mark's version of this, it actually says before Jesus said this, that Jesus looked at the man and loved him. This is not Jesus trying to push the man aside or like reject him, this is Jesus loving this man. The loving thing to say to this man is you should sell everything, give it away, and follow me. Which is just, even just that, the fact that Jesus can say that confidently is amazing, right? Like that he has that much confidence in himself and his kingdom, that he would say give it all and follow me. Jesus has the solution to this man's lack. He has everything, but he still has a lack. The solution is actually to give away everything and follow Jesus. What we see is actually to lack nothing requires giving everything to follow Jesus. Jesus effectively identifies that even though this man can claim that he's kept the commandments, actually he's worshiping another god, which is to break all the commandments to break the first commandment, which is that you shall only worship the Lord. And Jesus knows that this man actually worships money. He worships his possessions. And we'll see that even in the way that he responds soon. So Jesus is confronting this man in love to free him from idolatry, to free him from this cycle of constant lack. Even though he gets more and more, he will always lack, because life is not found in possessions, but in God, in Jesus. So Jesus says, sell everything. He actually says, you will have treasure in heaven. So Jesus is not talking about loss, he's talking about gain. And then he says, follow me. That's the way to be perfect. And this links back to when Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount about becoming perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. God is perfect in that he shows generous love. Life is ultimately to follow Jesus and grow more and more to be a person who reflects the Father's love into the world. This is the invitation that Jesus gives him. And it's clear, um, from other passages in Scripture that this, this specific command to this man does not apply to, to everybody. You cannot say to everybody that you have to sell everything to, to follow Jesus because we see in the Gospels later some people still have possessions, some people are still rich, um, uh, and they're followers of Jesus. They haven't had to sell everything. So that, it, we can't use that, that passage to suggest that, but what we can do is say that this, this teaching means that we must submit everything that we own to Jesus. He must be first. If he's not, then it's an idol, and it actually is, is going to draw us away from him, as we'll see. So it's easy to sometimes dismiss this passage, right, and say, well, okay, Jesus told that man he needs to sell everything, but, but obviously that's not for everybody. But this passage is to us, and it, and it needs to challenge us. And I think even as we look at it, one question that we need to ask ourselves is what would you do if Jesus told you to sell everything, to give it away, and to follow him? If he said that to you, because he, he said that to this man, right? and he was serious, what would you do if he said it to you? And it's important, I think, to even think about that in our context, to think about what do you own? What's your bank balance at the moment? How much super do you have? Think about your house. What if Jesus said, give it all away? How would you respond? Because if the straightaway response is, I wouldn't do that, then there's a problem. There's a big problem. Because that is more important than Jesus. So we must have all that we have submitted to him. And we must, he probably won't say to give it away, but we must be open to the fact that he could, because he said it to this man. He could say it to us. He's said it to people before. He's called them overseas. They sell everything. They're called to a certain people group to give their lives. He does do that. So if we're going to follow him, there's a need to actually weigh that and be open to that. And this is actually, I because it, because this passage can just seem like extreme, right? And it can just sort of be like, okay, that's obviously just very extreme, but we need to keep bringing it back to us. This is Jesus speaking to us still. Um, and it, this passage is so serious, and I've, I've been really impacted by it this week because of how the man responds. Because how does he respond to this? It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This is actually profound and incredibly scary. This, this man turns down Jesus' invitation. This, Jesus says, this is the way to be perfect. This is the way to have life. This is the way to have treasures in heaven. Come, follow me. This is Jesus speaking, God in the flesh. And the man says, nah, it's too hard. And he walks away. And he, even when he walks away sad, he, he's in the grip and bondage of his wealth. Even though maybe something in him wants to follow Jesus, he can't. He walks away. And again, it's easy for us to think, well, that passage says this man had great wealth, We don't have great wealth. But actually, the the Greek doesn't say great wealth, it just says many possessions. He had many possessions. And majority of people living in the West, right, in a consumer culture, have many possessions. We have many possessions. And compared to this man, we are probably way richer than him in terms of standard of living. Even if if you're sort of at the bottom of the standard of living in Australia, you're probably way richer than this man. And even if you're at the bottom of the standard of living in Australia, you're still among the richest in the world compared to the majority of the world. So when we read this passage, we have to recognize we are the rich man. We are wealthy. If we have more than we need for today, we have actually, biblically speaking, riches. We have a lot. And riches blocked this man from the kingdom. It's, it's so intense. So Jesus then starts to commentate on this, right? He's had this interaction. He offers this man this offer. The man walks away, and Jesus starts to teach on it. And again, he's quite serious. He says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, so again, it's an emphatic statement he's making. It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is commentating on this, and it's so strange in some ways, because on the one hand, he's making an incredibly emphatic, challenging statement, and he's making a joke at the same time. It's almost that what he's saying is so difficult, it's, it's almost laughable. He's saying it's so hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle, which people have tried to explain that in other ways, but Jesus is just talking about an absurd impossibility. It's just absurd. He's taking the biggest creature that they had and thinking of the smallest thing to fit it through and saying it just doesn't work, it's impossible. But he's making a joke out of it, it's laughable how impossible it is, effectively. And this is probably not how we tend to see wealth. Which is why we so need Jesus' teaching, because according to Jesus, material wealth is a liability when seeking to enter the kingdom. It's actually not an asset. Assets are liabilities in the kingdom in many ways, according to Jesus. Now, this is not saying that money is bad, because money is neutral. It's just money. Creation is good. Possessions, if God-honoring and use well are good, are gifts from God. This is not saying there's anything wrong with money or things. The issue is the human heart. The issue is the love of money. And the issue is that the more we have, the more deceptive our position actually becomes. Because money and possessions are really representative of life without God. Life that is self-sustaining. Life that is independent. Life that's within our own control. And the more that we have, even like this man... The more confidence we have, the more security in ourselves we have, the less likely we are to actually depend upon God, to recognize that we have nothing without him, and the harder it is to release it if he told us to. It becomes a competing master. In many ways, the more you have, that often the more it has you, and the more you possess, the more it possesses you, is what Jesus is talking about, and the more you have to lose. And again... There's a whole other sort of sermon on this that we could talk about the blessings of, of God's gifts and we could talk about people who are being called to, to steward great wealth and how we can use investments for the kingdom and that's, that's all true and that's all relevant but in many ways that's not what Jesus emphasizes. That's not what Jesus really wants to talk about. Jesus wants to talk about the fact that this is actually really dangerous and the fact that this man walked away is actually so significant. One, one commentator, puts it this way. What makes this response of the man sobering is that it's the only time in this Gospel of Matthew, in fact, in the Gospels, that Jesus' call to discipleship is refused. Possessions jam Jesus' call. The owning of things can possess a person in an almost demonic way. Every time Jesus says, follow me in the Gospel, except here, people drop their nets, leave their boats, abandon their tables, and follow Jesus. Jesus' word overpowers every other occupation and preoccupation, but money is so powerful that it alone can resist Jesus' word. That this man's wealth, most of the time when Jesus says, follow me, people follow, because it's Jesus. But this man goes away sad. It's too hard. And again, this is probably not how we tend to think about wealth. We probably have the opposite fear most of the time. We fear not having enough, not, not building capital, We fear what the bank balance is. But Jesus is inviting us to fear the opposite, to fear the fact that if we have a lot, we might actually be in more danger of missing the kingdom. If we have more possessions, they might actually block Jesus' call or become our master. We actually must be much more suspicious of our wealth than we are, according to Jesus. We must actually see it much more as a liability than an asset than we tend to do. And again, not saying that it's not a blessing from God, not saying that God doesn't call people to hold on and use things for for his kingdom, but if we're going to do that, we have to understand that we're playing with fire according to Jesus. We have to understand that this is actually really dangerous. And the disciples are surprised by this. This, this is what Jesus is saying, because it's extreme. It was extreme back then, and it's, it's very challenging to us in our culture today. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, who, who can be? And they probably mostly think those who are rich are in God's favor and God's blessing. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, with humans, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's just totally flips things, Right? Because we might tend to think subtly that those who are well off have God's favor, God's blessing, those who are successful. But Jesus says, no, those are people who are even more in desperate need of grace and a miracle to enter the kingdom. And the gospels again and again say it's the poor who are close to the kingdom. Those who are aware of their desperate need, those who are seeing that they need help, they're like primed for the kingdom. Those who are rich, have this huge obstacle that needs the massive miracle of God for it to be released and let go of. We actually need an amazing amount of grace, which again should really challenge us in our attitude towards wealth because it's incredibly normal um, in our culture to desire to be rich, to desire to be richer. And again, there could be good in that and God could use that and people could be called to that, that there's, there's purpose in that But if that desire is to be rich for the sake of of more personal security or more selfish ambition, then actually it's just adding temptation and difficulty to your life in regards to the kingdom. It may make life on earth better, but that's going to be very short compared to life in eternity. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at. Uh, Timothy um, speaks really strongly about this in his Letter. Uh, Paul, Paul, speaking to Timothy, speaks strongly about this as well. He says this in First Timothy 6, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many grease. That is not a perspective that you normally hear about wealth, right? <laughs> it's incredibly dangerous, is effectively a summary of what he's saying. Those who desire more of it are in for a trap that may lead them to lose their faith. Like that's what he just said. It's so intense. So we must totally recognize and, and navigate, and again, in all this, I'm preaching to myself totally today as well, that, that, that this, uh, we, we need God's grace to renew our minds in this issue and to re- release our grip from things that maybe we have started to grip onto. And Paul effectively gives some counsel as to how to do that in First in Timothy a bit later on. And it's interesting because he's speaking to people who are rich, and it's not that these people have had to give away everything. They, There is an allowance for people to be rich and a Christian. thats Biblically, if you look at the whole New Testament, that happens, but there's these strong words to them, often quite negative, but this is an encouragement, a challenge and an encouragement to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So there's provision. These people are rich. They're in Timothy's church. But Paul says they must be generous, and they must not trust their wealth. And we know, because if they do, they're going on this other path of the love of money, which is dangerous. So this is just a short summary, kind of, uh, uh, before we get into the last bit of the passage, that the problem, according to Jesus and the New Testament writers, is that riches can cause us to become arrogant, self-centered and self-sufficient. Now that may be subtle, it may not be obvious, but but that's the general push. It leads us to more independence from God rather than dependence. They can cause us then to place our hope for the future in our financial position. We start to think about the future based on how much we have or how much we can gain, and depending on what that is, means how confident we feel. But then ultimately that will lead us to be anxious because it's always gonna be uncertain. Right? The market could crash, someone could steal, there could be a data breach, the whole economy could collapse. Like, all sorts of things could happen. So no matter how much wealth someone has, they aren't actually going to be free of anxiety. It, if anything, the more that there is, the more there is to lose, the more anxiety is probably how it works. And then it's a vicious cycle because then the response is to seek to increase the financial position further to seek more security. And you see the trap. You have some. You're worried about losing it, so you get more. Then you're worried more about losing it, so you get more, so you get more. And there's always a need for more. This is the trap. And, and in that previous passage, that could happen so much that someone just can't even hear Jesus call anymore because they're so off track. That's the danger. The solution uh, that Jesus gives and that, that we see in this letter to Timothy, as well as a summary, one way to fight this trap is to consistently place our hope in God. And like in some ways, if there's financial difficulty coming, maybe there's a blessing in that, that it shows that hope has to be in God, not in money. But there's also a, a, a call to enjoy, and with thankfulness, God's abundant and generous provision, that actually all we have is a provision of God. And actually, if we're thinking about having our basic needs met, of food, water, shelter, clothing, like we have an abundance. And it's a gift from God that can be enjoyed with thankfulness. Uh, the rich are commanded to focus on doing good, on seeking first the kingdom, and ultimately to practice generosity and sacrificial giving. If there, someone has wealth, there's a command from Paul and implicit in this rich young rule with Jesus to be generous, to be giving it away, to be sharing it. That's really the only way to justify having it if it's being shared and given and sacrificed so that we are still in a place of dependence on God, recognizing it's not ours. And I think with this problem and solution, there's really no neutral ground. You're either going in one way or the other. You're either moving more towards the problem and and giving less, seeking more, or you're fighting against it. Through generous giving, through looking to God, through trusting Him, through submitting everything to Him, and if He's calling to hold on to things and use it for a purpose, to continually keep that surrendered to Him and open to Him. To not to have wealth and not be submitting it to God, to not be giving generously, effectively will have serious spiritual consequences, and is actually really, really dangerous. And um, many followers of Jesus have been called to literally give it. To, to give it away, to, to surrender it for a call, for a ministry, for something else, to, to quit a job that was well-paying, to sacrifice in some ways for, for God's kingdom. So the disciples ask about this because they're putting themselves in this, this category. Uh, verse 27, they say, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What will then there be for us? This is a really interesting question because, one, Peter seems quite proud um, which is also a danger. You could give everything up and then become proud, which has maybe even greater spiritual consequences. So there's a real thing we need to navigate here. Um, and it's also, it also doesn't really seem that Peter did give up everything because the gospel's talk about his house and his wife. And So yeah, it's just Peter being Peter, I guess. But, um, but Jesus answers him graciously and actually takes his question seriously. Jesus, he's effectively saying, well, what is there for those who do give up? to follow you, Jesus? What, what will there be? And Jesus answers a pretty amazing way. He says, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, this is again emphatic, I'm telling you this, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 tr- thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive A hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. For many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus wants our attention not to be on what we might have to give up to follow him, but what we will gain as a result. Because he talks about amazing gains. And in Matthew, he's talking about like delayed gains, like he's talking about the renewed creation. When he returns, when he sits on his throne, uh, in Mark's version of this, he's actually talking, he talks about immediate gains that we profit in this life. But but Matthew wants to focus on the end and that he's effectively talking about rewards and compensation, that those who have had to sacrifice will be greatly rewarded and compensated. And he says a hundred times. The the gain of the investment or the sacrifice will be multiplied a hundred times. That is a 10,000% increase if we're talking about interest rates, right? Like on the initial investment, 10,000%. And it's similar to what Jesus said already to this man. It's easy to look at Jesus' call to this man negatively, that this, Jesus was telling this man to give up stuff, but Jesus was telling this man how to gain. He said, give it up and you'll get treasure in heaven. Come follow me. This man was being offered eternal treasure and Jesus himself versus however much wealth he had. Like, it was a massive gain. Can I ch- chat to you after? Yeah, thanks. It, it was a massive gain that he was offering to him. And um, th- this is effectively what we see in this passage, that in the end, there will be no losses, only gains for those who leave things to follow Jesus. Because it's easy to be tempted, to be discouraged by this teaching that Jesus gives. It's easy to focus, okay, Jesus is confronting us on our riches and wants us to, to give them up. Maybe all of them, at least some of them. That could be seen as a loss. But, but Jesus doesn't want us to see it as a loss. He wants us to see it as a gain. When he talks about investing, he says, don't invest on earth, invest in heaven. That is where it won't be lost. There's no risk of being stolen or, or broken or going rotten. Invest in heaven. We, we must not listen to this This call to to follow him and to give up as as a negative, but as a positive, it's incredibly positive. And again, the, the emphasis though is on the new creation in Matthew, but Mark talks about it happening in this life, which could also be referring to the church community and fellowship, that people in a sense gain family, gain houses together. Could be about spiritual and even material blessings that could happen as well. But Jesus is not speaking... Uh, negatively, he's speaking negatively about treasure and hope in this life that will definitely be lost. He's talking about positively about the treasure that will never fade, that will last forever. So as we respond today, effectively, there's, there's two, two real things that we have to hear in Jesus' teaching on, on wealth. We really have to hear that he gives really strong warning. Again, this is not the only place. There's other places As well, warning that wealth and riches can block our ability to follow Him, actually make it harder to depend and access and live in the kingdom. Can actually take so much of a grip on our hearts that we might even walk away from the faith. That 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 we don't tend to see wealth like that. We just tend to see it as a good thing. I'm not saying it's not a good thing, but that it's a very dangerous thing in in the kingdom paradigm of Jesus, which we can see is totally different to a Western economic paradigm of, of life. Jesus is really challenging us here. And again, we, yeah, so we need, to, we need to listen to this warning and, and recognize the warning, especially, especially if someone is called to hold on to riches, they must at least be aware that it's dangerous. Others need to be really aware of the need for God's grace in that. But again, we must also hear the invitation of this passage that Jesus is offering us life. He's offering us freedom. He's offering this man the way to not lack, the way to not be anxious. Jesus says, we don't have to be anxious about our stuff. God will provide what we need. He, he's offering that. He's offering investments that produce 100 times. He's offering to follow us and have treasure in heaven and to live a life of love for God and love for neighbor. This is the invitation. It's actually incredibly positive, even though Countercultural. So as we respond today, I think there's two things that we must do. Um, we must pray. And if you haven't, if you're a follower of Jesus, and and you have never told him that all that you have is his, you need to do that. And you need to listen to him, because he may say to give it away. Because he probably won't, but he did to this man. And if it's blocking your ability to follow him, then it should be given away. And that seems crazy, but that just seems to be in line with what he is saying. So we must at least ask him, what do you want me to do with this, Lord? I have this. It comes from you. We need to ask him how to use it. It must be submitted and in our hearts, because he may ask us to give it, or it may be gone for some reason. And and if that will impact our ability to follow him, then we need to address that now in, in prayer. And we need to, we just need to pray a whole lot more about our money, about our spending, about our investments, about our wealth. We need to pray about it a lot more and what God wants to, us to do. And we need to pray for grace to be not be entrapped by it, to not be tempted by it, to not be drawn away by it. We, we need to pray for that. And we also need to give, because our discipleship to Jesus must affect our finances literally and practically. It cannot be that we just say, yes, God, it's yours, and I'll do what you want with it, but then not give any of it. It must literally be given, and this message is not about giving to the church, that there's important reasons for that too, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus here is talking about giving to the poor, right? So in response to Jesus' call today, literally give to the poor, take money, and give it away. And then we need to continue to seek to grow in giving sacrificially and consistently. Because again, our culture pulls us the opposite way. Accumulate, consume, protect. The way the kingdom is opposite. Divest, give, surrender, and gain treasure in heaven. Um, There's a whole lot that could be said about that. Giving 10% of income is a good benchmark that Christians have used. It's not a rule. It's not something you have to do. And for a lot of people, that is way too little. 10% just wouldn't actually hurt at all. And it needs Jesus may be saying it should be much more to be sacrificial, but this needs action. And I guess the challenge from today is to actually take action on this today, to pray in response to Jesus' call, give sacrificially, generously. As we finish, I just finished with two quotes. This is a quote I've used before that I love by Jim Elliott puts it this way. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, said by a missionary who gave up everything and was killed with no regrets. Jim Elliot. That's the invitation, right? To give and actually as a result to gain. That's Jesus' invitation. The opposite, this is a paraphrase of something Jesus said, which is a very real danger which is the grateful is the person who seeks to gain the world and in so doing loses their soul. Which again, Jesus warns about, is serious about. So we're going to respond today and, and, and sing in a moment. And I'm also just gonna, we're just going to have some time um, after the last song where we're, we're going to keep this space here as a prayerful, responsive space. So you, if you would like to go out to morning tea straight away, you, you can head straight out, but... But I encourage you, if if this is speaking to your heart, and you need to do this, pray and give, to even just take some time to think about that now, and just to spend some time in prayer and response now. And if, as a part of that, you would like someone to pray for you, um, you could just come and sit down in one of these these front rows today, and, and someone will come and pray with you. And that could be about this message, or it could be about anything. It could just be that you've had a bad week, or had some bad news this week, and and just need someone to pray for you, and... Um, you can come and sit down in this front row. But we're just going to keep this space as a prayerful space um, and just to weigh weigh what Jesus is saying today. So we'll, we'll, we'll come up to, to sing. I'm just going to pray and we'll finish. We just thank you, Jesus, again for your kingdom that is different and is good and your invitation that challenges but also blesses. And we just say we need your spirit to give us understanding on this issue that yeah, we are compromised and, and clouded. And in many ways, what you're saying, we can, we can sort of say that kind of makes sense, but it also can be so hard to actually live out. And just thank you as you call us to this, Jesus, we follow you, the one who left heaven and became poor and the one who sacrificed everything in, in love and generosity, even shedding your blood and having your body broken. And yeah, your clothes bought and sold over and gambled over and you gave everything to us in love and we have everything we need in you and just ask you to free us, God, from the grip of wealth, free us from the deception of riches, free us to be generous and sacrificial, free us to be joyful and at peace no matter what state our finances are in, Lord, because our hope is in you. And we just bless you that in you we have certainty, we have confidence, we have peace and security. We ask you to protect us and guide us and, and renew us in this way in your name, Jesus. Amen.